Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. What a great idea for the weekend. The Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, Minister at Trinity St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts, and the former NDP MPP for Parkdale High Park. Hello, Sherry. Great day for talk radio. Gotta say it. You do. In fact, it's right there on the script. Uh, <laughs> good work. John Capobianco, Senior VP, Senior Partner, and National Practice Lead for Public Affairs in Fleischman Hilliard's Toronto office. How's John? John's great. How are you, John? Likewise, John. John's great. <laughs> Michael John. Giles, in government 30 years, all levels. Currently Chief of Staff to Deputy Mayor Anna Bailau. Michael, welcome. I'm glad to be here. All the big guns are back in town. <laughs> was that right? Okay. It's <laughs> been a while since all three of us were here. I was going to say, I'm looking around the room going, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you know, uh, people who are coming back to town, it was interesting because the other day uh, folks were saying, oh, to Pearson, you know, you can just self-declare if you've got flu symptoms and things like that. And I'm going, my goodness, this coronavirus thing, the scare is now amplified to a point where I'm trying to keep abreast of the numbers. What are they saying? Uh, 26 dead, uh, about 800 suspected cases, if you believe the numbers, by the way. And uh, that's led to a crisis of confidence when you're locking down various cities of, you know, 10 million people. Think about that. Toronto, you know, Toronto proper, less than 3 million, and the surrounding area were not even 10. And they're locking down six of these cities. Sherry DeNovo, does this give you pause for concern that this thing might be bigger than they're letting on? Uh, I, I think it's almost guaranteed it's bigger than they're letting on. I mean, this is not a democratic country, and this is not a transparent government by any means. Uh, so, yes, uh, is the answer to that. And, um and hopefully uh, our health authorities are on red alert, too, and as well as everywhere else. I, I gather there are cases in France already. And, uh, Two today. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it is concerning, absolutely concerning. John, same uh, sentiment? Well, you know, it's without a doubt, though, the only thing, China's the only place where this can happen, where they can actually lock down cities of millions of people, because it can never happen in a democratic country. And, and only in a communist country as China that, that will happen. But I'm, I'm glad they're doing it, because it's stemming from there. So, obviously, See something's going on, but uh, I, I, to Sherry's point, though, I do see that the Toronto and, and Canada are taking an action, and I think the three major airports, Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, are are putting in uh, systems now where they will, uh, where they will obviously uh, ask questions, and if anybody's coming from China, that they'll sort of ramp up their. Uh, uh, the pre-screening in a bit more significant way. So I think that's smart. But uh, this, this is something that, you know, there hasn't been a case in Canada, knock on wood, just yet. Uh, there are a few in the U.S. I think they're, they're testing. Right. This can go out of control in a big way, so we have to be careful. Well, in the eventuality that it does, as you say, touch wood or arborite, whatever the hell it's, uh, <laughs> the question is, do we curtail air travel between the countries? Uh, well, I think that comes down to what the World Health Organization does. They're going to, if they declare an international emergency, I think that'll happen. Uh, the reality is it's very difficult to control this stuff. You know, if Canada doesn't allow flights in from one country. If something comes from, uh, you know, China and enter or wherever, the, you know, the, there's issues and enters, say, from Los Angeles, they can even easily enter Canada. It's really about public health control. And 
We've learned a lot, uh, from what I understand, uh, from the, the SARS epidemic. You know, China did deny it in 2003. They actually covered up the cases and that exploded. I think to some degree they've learned a lesson this time because they self-reported this in December to the World Health Organization and sort of, you know, got everything rolling on this, admitting that there was, a, there was some kind of virus. They didn't know what it was at that time, and it was identified as a coronavirus. But the point is that they, they came forward and, and have, you know, as John mentions, I mean, it's an incredible when you look at the lockdown now. They've canceled the Lunar New Year, all that kind of stuff. But here in Toronto, I mean, we have uh, we learned we learned a lot of lessons from that. Even down to as as I understand it, the, the new hospital, the Humber River Hospital, even the ventilation systems put in there were different now, so that they can actually shut down ventilation systems, so it's not ventilating through the entire hospital. Uh, you can actually shut down divisions of that hospital and, and contain the uh, the air and all that stuff. So I think we learned a big lesson from there. And and if it, you know, I hate to say it, but there probably is an inevitability that we're, we were going to see that. I mean, I hear. Uh, on the way here, I heard there was a case now in Chicago. So it's getting closer, and it's just the nature of modern travel. I mean, in, in you know, 12 hours, you can be from one of these areas right into uh, downtown Toronto. I mean, Do you remember when uh, a friend of mine reminded me the other day, you know, the World Health Organization, Michael, as you mentioned who? You remember Mel oh, Lastman? Yes. Remember the famous line with Mel, the Mayor Mel Lastman, John, when he said, uh, wh- who is who? <laughs> <What are they laughs> doing? But obviously, I think now more and more people do understand who the who, who is. <laughs> it was scary yeah. in those days, because I remember, you know, oh, if you're on the subway terrifying. and somebody sneezed, everybody would move to the other end of the car and all that kind of stuff. Well, so, people yeah. buying masks and droves. Yes. There was yeah, a run absolutely. on those surgical masks. Well, there was yeah. now, too, though. And I, then the that had problems, too. Those that had to wear them all the time ended up. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think you had to have an <laughs> N95 mask, too, yeah. and we found out they weren't. So I've got my supply, but... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, a colleague of mine well. just today was telling me that they're going on... Uh, she and her husband are going on a trip and, uh, to, I think, Costa Rica or something, and he went, he went to a store to get a bunch of supplies, but ended up getting a couple of boxes of those masks. And with the last two boxes in the store, and the store owner basically said that the Walmarts around there are all, are all running low on masks. Mm-hmm. This is in Pickering. Wow. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because I was talking to a health expert yesterday who said the masks are really ineffectual uh, insofar as if you're coughing or whatever and, you know, spewing up a lung, then, yeah, it's a good thing to have. But other than that, it's not going to stop this virus necessarily. Uh, I, I think it depends on the the, the mask you have. They, they, oh. There's a, some, some that are porous and you have to have, I believe it's an N95 mask where mm-hmm. it actually is sealed enough. Otherwise, they are. They're the, they're the useless other than that. You should right. be washing your hands, too, all the time. Well, well no, that's what started. Yeah. That's what the hand sanitizer, that was the, the, uh, the advent of hand sanitizer. I mean, if, if only we didn't, you know, it was like huge. Yeah, well, SARS uh, prompted yeah. that mm-hmm. in every hospital. Now uh, you can't go 10 feet without a, a hand sanitizing station. You know, the other thing, how this thing started, ostensibly anyway, in a wildlife market in uh, Wuhan, where uh, people, I guess, are consuming snakes and bats. I'm thinking to myself, geez, uh, I know it sounds kind of like exotic. Maybe we shouldn't be turning our noses up at it. People, you know, around the world eat different kind of foodstuffs. But uh, do you trust local cuisine when you travel abroad, Sherry? I mean, if it's a case of, you know, a street vendor or something like that, you actually? Depending, depending. I'm a little. I would not be eating bats and snakes. I can tell you that. Or from a right street up. vendor. Right <laughs> up. How would you know? Um, and, I mean, uh, hey, this wonton you know, soup my, my taste. My daughter spends a lot of time in Mexico every year. I go down there. You know, you have to be careful. You have to be careful, right? I mean. Well, you, you got to be careful. But You how, don't you know? drink the local water. You know, you uh-huh. get a little bit careful. But yeah, as but, uh, careful as you can be. Well, right? how about you, John? 
John Street well, meet? First off, I vacation very little, unfortunately, but when I do, I, I tend to stay on the resorts if it's one of those exotic countries that I go to. But um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch street uh, street vending machines from from countries I'm not comfortable with. They're not or, even vending machines; they're just carts, or, carts, or vending <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> food carts or. Mind you, John, those carts are probably supplying the resorts that you're staying. Well, I don't know. I mean, sometimes well, people people don't drink the water from you know if you go to Mexico or Jamaica and stuff, people don't drink the water. They they'll, they'll get bottled waters and then they'll well, sort of supply themselves with that. Well, so they documented don't. Montezuma's revenge. Right. It's a saying of food. Though you go, you know, in some places like uh, you go into the Caribbean and you smell the ribs or, you know, the goat is cooking or something like, no, seriously. Uh, and you know, do you roll the dice with that, Michael? Michael? This is like uh, Ireland listen, all over again. No, no, I, I'm, from, I'm from West Belfast. My idea of exotic is tartar sauce with a fish and chips. So wow. I do not eat anything like that. Anyway. Stick to potatoes. I was actually in Mexico once, and, I, and uh, there was an all-inclusive hotel, and I did eat something, and it was unbelievable. It was like did you two, know what it was? Uh, I couldn't figure I think it was the, the, there was some kind of spicy chicken, but it was like two days of just in the the hotel room and on the praying to go on the throne and wow. pain and I thought never again it's like Big Macs when you're on vacation well you know it's interesting because even in Florida now in South Florida uh, there are a lot of uh, South American people who live there and uh, you can see in some some markets iguana yeah, well, like for twenty sure. bucks a pound or whatever they say. And again, you know the old thing about it tastes like chicken. Or scorpions, John. The stuff yeah. that they've got. Some of these places are incredible. Scorpions. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've got their first two albums. <laughs> 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 those are those aren't edible, but <laughs> no, no, no. but it is the winds of change. Yeah. Uh, what is the most exotic thing that you've ever eaten? What is the most exotic thing? Just oh like, my goodness, I. Um... Grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> yeah. John, John, you got me on that one. I really, I don't you eat exotic stuff. Don't really travel. Try. You don't eat. You're boiled potatoes, basically. A charcuterie yeah. plate in somewhere, I'm a sure. I think it, actually, I think it was the spicy chicken at that all-inclusive resort. First and last time. First and last. All right. Jerk chicken somewhere, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. All right. Well, uh, I'll let you off the hook as far as that's concerned. We've got other health considerations happening here in our own midst. Now, we were talking to Patrick Brown before you got here. Up in Brampton, they declared declared a uh, health emergency because overcrowding is now uh, a plague in our hospitals locally. And uh, how it got to this, you know, they're saying it's been subsequent governments that are responsible. It goes back a lot of years. They just never kept a pace of demand on the system. Uh, and whether the funding gap has to be closed provincially, the feds have a role to play in all of that as well. But, you know, when I, we talk about it provincially, here you've got the teachers who are demanding more money and the acute crisis in healthcare and people dying in hallways, if I had to prioritize one over the other, I'm going to choose healthcare every time. If the government works off that premise that, hey, there's only a fixed pie or we've got to keep spending, uh, you know, pretty lean and, uh, you know, try to rein in deficits and debt and so on and so forth. Do you prioritize health over the education system or more specifically what the teachers are demanding, John? Well, for sure. I think health care for most most Ontarians would say, would say health care over education if you can. I remember when I was working in the Mike Harris government back in 1995 to 1999, health care at that point was, if I'm not mistaken, about 54 cents to the dollar as far as expenditures. It was more than half the budget was towards health care. And I don't think it's changed. I think it's gone down a bit. I think education has crept up more so to almost be at even with, with health care. So they're two of the most expensive, um, uh, as you can imagine, expensive um, 
uh, areas within within a government. Um, but you know, this is why I think that what what Premier Ford is trying to do with education with the unions is to say, look, we've we've got to change this. We can't keep up over the last 15 years of, of liberal just spending money like crazy and giving the unions whatever they needed and whatever they wanted. Um, somebody has to say, look, this can't continue anymore. We've got to stop. We've got to now put prioritize prioritize hallway health care as the premier wants to do. And to do that, the only way you can get some money is to be able to cut some costs and be able to be a bit more stringent. And, and, uh, and education is one of them where you have to be. And notwithstanding that, the premier actually spent more money on education than the previous government has. But the unions have to take this 1%, um, um, and, and uh, they, they want more, and it's, it's not going to happen. Well, I don't know. Sherry, is there another option or alternative to finding the money for health care as well as uh, ameliorating things with the teachers and giving them what they're demanding? Abs- absolutely. To choose between one or the other is like choosing between your children. I mean, uh, they're both important, and they both should be funded. Um, and you've got a government that's giving, you know, by some accounts, some $60 million a week away uh, of, of to corporations, and another $275 million he he took, you know, he well, gave well, to the, well, the wealthy by, by How is he giving it away surge, to corporations? Tax. Well, this is the, the cut in corporate um, taxes. I mean, so he's made choices. The government's made choices for uh, corporations and the wealthy um, over health care and education. And I think most people would say no to that um, tax. There should be a surtax on the wealthy. Um that should not have been rescinded, and he should not have lowered the corporate tax rate. And I think that's the choice to be made, not health care or education. The answer is both, um, and let's let uh, those who can't afford to pay more taxes pay more taxes. What about the choice corporations may make not to conduct their affairs in Ontario and move to other precincts where the taxes are less onerous? Isn't that always the risk? I mean, you have to strike the right balance, Michael Giles. I mean, it's nice and, you know, it's almost uh, glib to say, well, you know, just increase the taxes on the corporations. All boats will rise with the subsequent tide and we'll be taking care of education. We'll take care of health care and blah, blah, blah. Does it work that way? Well, it's it's a, it's a lot, I think, a lot more complicated than that. I mean, I don't think necessarily if we, even if corporate taxes went up slightly, that you're going to see a mass exodus of companies. I mean, there's re, there's uh, things that attract large corporations. For example, one of the main things is that, that in the United States, most large corporations offer health care benefits to their employees. They pay enormous amounts of money for that. Here they pay about 1.98% of payroll. It's a good deal. They save a lot of money on that. So they, they, I think they do a cost-benefit on that. But in terms of the hospitals, I remember... Um, I, mean, I started out there. I started out with my, my first sort of boss in government was Eleanor Campbell. She was the health minister. And uh, in 1987, uh, I think, well, 1985, I guess, when we took over, it was $9 billion. In 1987, it was $11 billion. Mm-hmm. It's $60 billion this year. In 23 years, they were th- gone to $60 billion with an estimate of going to $73 billion. What it tells me is the same thing as the lesson then. And she did try. And, and you know, I think, frankly, and I'm... I'm, I'm sort of blowing her horn in that, but she actually tried to do some major changes and significant things to change how the, the hospital system worked. And and that was, you know, there was a lot of pushback, but the reality is you have, you, know, you cannot continue to operate the way we're operating. You can't have emergency ward uh, beds, you know, filled with somebody who has a cold. We need to start looking at urgent care centers. We need to maybe reevaluate the whole notion of, you know, individual rooms with two people in them. You know, the, the, the National Health Service in the United Kingdom has, you know, wards, that kind of stuff. And you can do a lot of things much more efficiently, but we just can't continue to pump billions and billions more in every year. It's not going to work. And the challenge, too, quite frankly, John, is that you can't, you know, the things change. You've got a, prime, a president in the United States who is constantly, you know, making America first and cutting taxes and making it much more competitive for businesses to actually be in the United States and produce in the United States. We're seeing GM and others sort of having that effect. So if you don't have a government here in Ontario and, quite frankly, in Canada 
who's not aware of that, is not prepared to make that, that system competitive, we're going to lose more and more jobs. And if you lose more and more jobs, then people don't, don't have the money to be able to have the health care and to have the education that they need. So you got to be able to have some level of a balance. It's not a question of health care over education, but you just can't keep spending money there. You have to find ways of, of both being efficient, and I think that's what the Premier is trying to do in Ontario. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.